Hello, hello, everyone. I'm Sebastian Shahadi, Global Markets Reporter at FDI, and you're listening to the FDI podcast, where we highlight some of the latest trends affecting the world of foreign investment. On today's show, we'll be discussing how environmental sustainability and the quote-unquote experience phenomenon are disrupting the tourism industry. To do this, I'm joined by my colleague, Alex Erwin Hunt, and our guest, Tiffany Misrahi, Policy Director at the WTTC, which is the World Travel and Tourism Council. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So for those who don't know, the WTTC is a body that represents travel and tourism's private sector, um, providing cutting-edge research and um, organizing world-class conferences. In fact, I was at the WTTC's 2019 Global Summit in Spain's Sevilla uh, two months ago. Um, and it gathered, I think, 170 world-class CEOs from, from Airbnb, Expedia, National Geographic, etc. And the main theme that I took away from all of that was two buzzwords, which I thought were very interesting. And that was the first, experience and sustainability. These were two themes that kept coming up time and time again. Let's begin with why are travelers demanding more and more foreign experience when they travel? And what do we mean by that, Tiffany? I guess I would tell you that it's not just travelers. I think people want experiences and people are also realizing that there's no backup planet. And so I actually were seeing overall that people are increasingly seeking experiences over material goods. And Amadeus did this study a few years ago that says actually material goods, the purchase of material goods is declining relative to the kind of the investment in personal enrichment. And so we're really seeing this rise and this shift. And the way I've been seeing it is actually very much linked to the growth of the middle class. And so it is the fastest growing segment uh, it's projected to reach $4 billion by the end of 2020, $5.3 billion by 2030. And actually, interestingly, 9 out of 10 of the next 1 billion middle class consumers will be Asian. And I had a conversation a while back with a senior executive from Visa, and what he told me was, as people enter the middle class, the first thing they're going to want is a car. They want to move. The second thing they're going to want is a trip with their family. And the third thing is a flat screen TV. I don't know if the flat screen TV is still accurate, but I think the idea of being able to move and have that mobility and being able to discover the world is really something that as people enter the middle class becomes really important to them. And in a way, it very much at the psychological level aligns with kind of the Maslow hierarchy of needs. So once you don't have to worry about having food on the table as much and when you don't have to worry about um, putting a roof over your head, all of a sudden you can focus on the experiences Mm. and the things that make you richer in a non-material way. Fantastic. And, you know, that chimes exactly with um, uh, what the head of Airbnb experiences. So Airbnb have their own uh, business section called Airbnb experiences. Yeah. So how, how relevant is that? And Joe Zadeh, the VP and head of Airbnb experiences, told me very similarly that travelers are increasingly looking to connect more deeply with the places they're visiting and the people who live in the communities they visit. There's a demand for new, unique things to do while traveling. Increasingly, people around the world are valuing experiences over consumer goods and products, close quote, which is exactly sort of, I mean, especially the latter part of that. It's exactly that. And actually, the experience economy is here to stay. It's not going anywhere. Um, 
research was saying that uh, $8.2 trillion is the forecasted expenditure on the experience economy by 2028. And in that context within that kind of wellness tourism is on the rise, ecotourism on the rise. And it's you're really seeing this reflected in travel and tourism because um, more and more people want to discover the world. BCG did this body of research that um, the survey that said that 70% of millennials want to discover every continent, while non-millennials, the number was around 48%. So I think you have this increased desire for discovery, for personal enrichment, to be connected, which is what mm-hmm. um, a gentleman from Airbnb said, to be part of a community uh, and, to, and to feel that you're part of something bigger. Absolutely. And that figure that you gave, $8.2 trillion, the experience economy is estimated to be that by 2028. That comes from market research firm Euromonitor, um, which is a respectable source there. And, and you know, businesses like Airbnb Experience are really taking advantage of this growing market. For those of you who don't know, what you can do with Airbnb Experience, this sounds like a sales pitch, is you can go to Rome, for example, and cook pasta with a grandmother, or you can go to Romania and pick tomatoes with, with a local family there. So it's about really connecting with the people who live there and immersing yourself, which is fascinating. And their business is growing hugely. Since launching in 2016, Airbnb experience have grown to 30,000 experiences in 1,000 cities from, well, nothing when they launched. And that's that's a, a sevenfold increase based on last year. Quite a growth there. It's really, really interesting. And it's not just Airbnb. So many of the companies in the private sector are really taking advantage of this. But I think also this kind of incredible growth in disposable income has meant that material wealth is not anymore the only signifier of status. And... Um, Research was done that showed that more than two-thirds of luxury consumers in the U.S., the U.A., and the U.K. agreed with the statement that luxury goods and services are about differentiating myself from others. Mm -hmm. And more than 90% of those in China and 75% of those in Mexico said the same. And I think in that sense, kind of luxury has changed. And it's really about the attainment of the most creative, adventurous, or peaceful, idealized version of the self being the ultimate goal. And I think that has shifted a lot in terms of what people are seeking and looking for. And a lot of companies are really working to integrate that. And you don't think, I mean, you mentioned the Chinese middle class. You don't think this is just a Western phenomenon? I, mean, I think it's a class phenomenon. Right. I don't think it's about a specific location. I think certain regions which will have more wealth will be more prone to it. Uh, but I think the reality is as people increasingly join the middle class, people will increasingly want to travel. You know, what's fascinating, and I don't know if this number, it, it may still be uh, correct, but I think it was 9% of Chinese citizens have a passport. Only 45% of U.S. citizens have a passport. It doesn't mean that they don't travel within their country, and it doesn't mean the U.S. isn't huge or China isn't huge. Mm-hmm. But I think there's still so much potential as people become wealthier they also get passports and they'll start to travel and so for me it's really about kind of joining that middle class and having having those opportunities Mm -hmm. absolutely um and you know i was talking to the ceo of roommate which is a fairly small european chain but they're growing very fast they're one of our members and they are one of your members i spoke to them at the uh, the global summit the wttc's global summit and um one of the things that struck me in our interview was that he said, quote, we're seeing people being more social 
over the last 14 years in our hotels. And we're catering to that through lobby space and canteen tables that encourage social atmosphere and, and interaction. And, and you know, there's also this new scheme, I think it's called Travel with a Stranger. So people have, have been far more social and audacious and technology is helping with that for sure. Alex has worked quite a bit on Selena Hotels, which also has quite a social philosophy yeah. and has had quite an expansion recently. So could you expand a, a bit on Selena Hotels? Yeah, sure. Selena is uh, quite an interesting case study and I think it's you know a perfect representation of this interesting convergence we're seeing in the way we want to work and travel. You know, I think people are increasingly looking for lots more flexibility in their work, maybe working remotely, and there's certainly been a, a surge in remote work that ties in with also the rise of the tech industry where people don't need to be in an office, they can do their coding or programming somewhere. You know, us as journalists, we don't necessarily need to be in the office, we can be just connected to the internet and working. And Selena is the perfect representation of companies jumping on this trend. Yeah. So essentially, it's a quite a unique hospitality brand, which provides both open communal sociable spaces, mm -hmm. as well as co working spaces. Yeah. Um, so it essentially offers people the opportunity to travel the world and go to all their different locations and work along the way. And this is a really interesting trend we're seeing, I, I guess, within work as well as travel. The company's mission is, and chiming with that, is to inspire meaningful, authentic connections between yeah. people through work, through through play, through. So I just love that. Yeah, um, no, it's 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 a it's a great marketing to uh, marketing phrase they've got there. It's awesome. And, uh, Certainly, I have to say my initial interest was sparked because I stayed at one of their oh, yeah. uh, hostels or host. They're not. They're, they're kind of half hostel, half hotel, right? And they have a whole range of accommodation option. It's not just trying to fit one particular segment of the market. You yeah. can stay in a dormitory with maybe nine other uh, fellow travellers, or you can have your own private suite with your own, um, you know, uh, ensuite bathroom. So it's really interesting in the sense that it's saying this is not just. And it comes back to your point about classes. It's not just for you know, very rich individuals or poor individuals, it's, whatever your disposal income is, you can jump on this trend of being able to work and travel at the same time. And certainly Selena has expanded massively. Yeah. They had a yep. record year last year. They invested, in, actually ranked in the top 20 investors worldwide in terms of Greenfield FDI projects, um, undertaking 44 mm -hmm. across 14 different countries. This is, of course, according to our our good old database, FDI Markets. FDI Markets. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's really interesting. They've seen that a kind of unique idea has just ballooned and, and managed to expand massively internationally. Mm -hmm. They've just recently had a successful Series C funding round of $100 million, uh, which was led by Access Industries. And how, um, how does that tie into the broader the broader trend of co-working space? Tell us a bit about WeWork being the most active investor. Well, that's interesting as well, actually. So Adam Newman, WeWork's founder, led the funding round last April, April 2018, uh, which amounted to 95 million. So clearly, this he sees the vision they have, and that's very it's very much exactly, yep. and it's very much synonymous with his vision, which is to provide flexible working space for freelancers all the way up to big corporates uh, where you know it's very much more about the experience of work being in an environment where you can collaborate with one another and I have to say I've, I've visited their European headquarters and and they're amazing they're open plan you have baristas there you have <laughs> maybe a, you know beer taps for when you finish work and it creates an environment in which you you want to stay you want to work you want mm. to enjoy your work and this very much links much more into the experience theme. This has been part of a bigger trend and perhaps started in the tech industry as well, where talent is the most important thing for companies nowadays. Mm -hmm. um, and 
providing your talent the flexibility, whether that's to be working remotely and staying mm -hmm. at places like Selena, or just to be in an office environment that is nice, that is uh, conducive to co collaboration, conducive to productivity. Um, yeah. You know, these new spaces are essential for attracting and retaining talent. Absolutely. I, Blip, which is a, a tech company in Porto, I was at their offices recently and I was amazed that they made the same point. We're providing this experience, not out of a philosophy of, of social interaction, but also to, to retain talent. They had a massage parlor, they had <laughs> a mindful room, a restroom, they had yeah. a ping pong table. And if you're being cynical, then they're just trapping you into this cushy workplace so you can work ridiculous hours. But I think ultimately it's a far better thing than, the, than what we had in, say, the 1980s with our incandescent lights. <laughs> what we're seeing and what also you mentioned was kind of the shift in the mission and kind of this focus on the experience and this focus on the customer experience. I was looking Looking up, for instance, Southwest, who said that we like to think of ourselves as a customer service company that happens to fly airplanes. And so I think nice. there's been, and it's they're not just the only one, there have been many, you know, companies that really in the sector have kind of jumped on this wagon and even beyond uh, travel and tourism. If you think about retail, I was living in New York up till recently and now you can actually have breakfast at Tiffany's because they mm. created that space to create those experiences for customers. Designers like Prada, Burberry have created spaces to enable creativity, to enable this community and these spheres. And even looking beyond kind of this creativity, if you're thinking like e even on the on the game side, companies like Lego are actually trying to create and launching new lines just for adults to empower this creativity, to enable this community. And so I think we're seeing more and more kind of this focus on on this connectedness on this creativity on this community and how much you know people are valuing it absolutely absolutely i mean it's no surprise that um well it's very interesting i should say that co-working um company we work was last year's 2018's most active investor so they undertook more greenfield foreign investment projects than any company in the entire world yes that's more than any company in any sector which is very impressive and it shows not only the the belief that investors have put behind this concept but the fact that there is a huge demand for it, mm. um, especially in, in more middle class areas. I think we're seeing more and more, and you're seeing this with the sharing economy, you're seeing this with the gig economy, right? There's been this rising desire on the customer and the, this individual side for freedom and for flexibility. Yeah. Right. And I think they very much speak to this, where you don't want to feel tied. And you see this also in terms of how people view ownership and how that has shifted over the yeah. past, I would say, if even 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. uh, if my father wanted a car and he owns a house, I feel like buying a house might tie me down and right. might lock me in. And I think, or, and I don't own a car. Um, and I would say just thinking about how that has shifted and kind of access is today kind of ownership mm. and how that has shifted. And so I think the values of the consumers, it's actually translating to the travel and tourism sector, but to all other sectors. Absolutely. It's actually the kind of the the bigger piece of the yeah, puzzle. Yeah, no, it's certainly very interesting. And as you say, record year last year. For, we worked 219 Greenfield FDI projects. 219, wow. You know, miles, miles ahead from any other, other investor. But n interesting enough, just a few spaces behind them in terms of the ranking, in terms of FDI projects, was uh, International Workplace Group, or formerly Regis, and yep. their uh, co-working brand spaces. And then we also have other companies coming up uh, from the from the rear, in the sense, uh, Knottel, who are offering maybe more of a 
catered experience to specific companies. So even if WeWork is offering Mm -hmm. this across the board to, you know, freelancers all the way up to big corporates, there are a lot of other companies uh, also competing in this space. And it's it's certainly an interesting one to watch. Absolutely. So as Tiffany, to summarize what you just said there, you know, it's really it's it's impacting so many sectors. And we're clearly discussing how how tourism has been been hit and now real estate very clearly is being Mm. hit by it. And I was talking at uh, the MIPEM, which is uh, one of the the, the leading uh, forums for real estate in the world uh, based in Cannes every year. And I was speaking to Harris Associates, who which are a a commercial real estate company based in London. And they're saying they're seeing the rise of co-living as well. (laughs) So take the Unite Students model, which for those of you who don't know, is is, uh, basically student living where you say there's six roommates or inmates as I call them uh, with with one kitchen and this sort of glorified leper colony is is also being frankly now sold to young professionals who also try to save money and live communally and more socially I actually had a very bad time in my Unite students yeah. um, well actually I don't think it was Unite students I must clarify but it was that kind of model and I did not enjoy myself but I, I believe this, this it will be a little more um, classy once you're living with young professionals and Maybe maybe the experience would be yeah. better. Would, would you would you guys uh, fathom living in a co living space like that? As well, young... actually, it's an interesting point you make. I mean, we're discussing WeWork. Actually, they've rebranded as the We Company. This was following you know the scale back of investment by SoftBank earlier this year, uh, which was maybe a sign that there was a loss of confidence in WeWork, maybe a profitability worries. But actually, they're also moving into this space, this co living space. So the We Company is the umbrella company over WeWork. Right. We grow. And we live. And this, this, so as you say, this is a, a growing space. It's it's moving from work and travel also over to how, how we live. And certainly I think more and more people are looking for a more open environment. As you say, it's more about access. It's not about ownership. I think at the same time, and I think especially with the rise of digital media, and this may be l- less, I guess, for the older generations who use technology in a different way, but um, people today don't only have physical relationships, but also have digital and virtual ones. Mm -hmm. And I think in that sense, it can potentially make people feel lonelier. And so this kind of approach that enables you not to be alone, but to be connected with people uh, is potentially one approach to look at it. I can tell you, I'm not not ready to to live with six people right now at this stage of my life. I'm not doing that again. (laughs) No, exactly. Been there. Uh, But 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 I can see why why people would I think I can see yeah. why why people would value community and l- sharing with others and being connected and why mm-hmm. that's so important. Absolutely, and it's it also comes down to to cost and financial and environmental sustainability. So London's so expensive for for so many youngsters to be centrally located that this makes financial sense. And also, I mean, not only is it cost effective for the investor and and the client, but it, it's it's environmentally sort of friendly. To, it's efficient. It's economical to build these these small spaces that are fairly friendly, nice places to be in. This moves moves us on to how environmental uh, friendliness ties into the, the growing trend of ecotourism. When you go to a startup or any of these co-working places, you'll see that they're often very green spaces. So the younger generation are clearly valuing environmental sustainability. Uh, and you're seeing that in the co-working space, the co-living space. As part of the traveler's desire for unique and authentic experiences with people and nature is this rapid growth in, in ecotourism. And I'm wondering, Tiffany, what you think is behind that rapid growth and how concrete the change is. 
So I'd like to experience this. I think it's part of a broader trend. And I guess I would say that people are realizing at the consumer level that the availability of resources and the health of our planet is actually being threatened. And that whether in a voluntary way or being pushed into it, uh, I think people are realizing that there's a need to change their lifestyles. And so a study was done that showed that 60, 66% of consumers across 60 countries said they will pay more for environmentally friendly products. So I think there's most certainly a desire mm-hmm. to move in that direction. The reality, though, and this is not just for travel and tourism, is that actually only, I think it's 5% of total sales are sustainable or environmentally friendly product. And I think mm-hmm. it's part of the elements that, that, that we're talking about, which is you're first going to want to get food on the table and you're first going to want to shelter and then you're going to prioritize right. sustainability. Sustainability is not going to come. Individuals aren't going to choose to be sustainable over having a roof over their heads. I think if we're able to give them a cost-efficient way to actually be sustainable, I think then that this number is really going to increase. So I think there's a will, there's a desire. We're seeing it. There is a rise in ecotourism, most certainly. I think there is a rise uh, where we're doing right now this piece of research that won't come out, I think, for the next month or two on wildlife tourism and kind of people wanting those experiences, which is on the rise as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there is most certainly a will, and I think we just need, uh, whether it's with destinations, with the private sector, with society, to enable people to get to that point. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to see the contradiction there between desire and reality. Mm. It feels to me like the millennials especially, they want to prioritize their health first. Um, uh, and I suppose that comes with the experience phenomenon, how people want flexibility, they want to work from home, they want a happy lifestyle, a good balance between work and and uh, and private life. And that seems to be more important. The experience thing comes first. Wanting that for yourself, wanting to be he- healthy and happy um, seems to come first. And then ecotourism is coming a little behind in, in Maslow's, Maslow's hierarchy of needs to some extent, although it's very relevant to it because health and, and nature are very intertwined. So that's actually, it sort of links to that as well. I mean, to what extent are health conscious millennials driving this this uh, this need for experience as much as ecotourism. I would say that both millennials and actually even Gen Z, which is the younger generation, are very much driving both the experiential piece, but also the sustainability piece. Uh, also because they're realizing that maybe previous generations haven't done enough, and mm-hmm. there's really a need to change. But I would agree with you that at the moment you're seeing a lot more emphasis on the experiential piece. And I think that once we're able to make the sustainability elements uh, kind of uh, price, maybe price them right, mm-hmm. I think that will inc- become increasingly uh, big. So I think there's strong desire. Mm-hmm. Um, it just hasn't translated yet in the way we hope. Right. It's not as, as effective as, as yeah. we thought. I mean, it is beginning. And um, uh, Rochelle Turner, your colleague, yeah. who's head of research at the WTTC, she told me, 
Um, quote, there are ever more people asking questions about sustainability. It's more than just having your towels not washed every day. They want to see changes. So you are seeing companies give tours about how waste is being processed and where their water supply is coming from, tours of local energy plants, end quote. Investors and companies are picking up on it. Going back to Airbnb, that, that pioneer in, in tourism and real estate, they've got their own um, department called Airbnb Social Impact Experiences, a little like Airbnb Experiences. Um, for example, you can book to hike with rescue dogs in California, or you can go plastic fishing in Amsterdam's canals. So there is, which is amazing. So Mr. Zadeh, the, the, the head of Airbnb Experiences, says, we're seeing, quote, we're seeing that travelers are becoming increasingly civic-minded and want to take action around causes that they care about both at home and abroad. Um, so it's beginning. It might not be beginning as fast as, as we think. It might be a bit more cosmetic and fashionable at the moment than than realistic in terms of what people are actually buying and what investors offer. However, it is beginning nonetheless, which which is great. Definitely. I think we're seeing it, obviously, like you're saying, whether it's the towels, whether it's recycling, uh, we're seeing major companies like Mary is even looking at plastic and how you're removing entirely plastics and in this case, straws mm -hmm. specifically. So I think you are seeing people being also a lot more conscious about water consumption. Right. Uh, I don't know if you know, but I think it was two, two, three years ago, uh, Cape Town actually had major water shortages mm. and they really kind of uh, asked people uh, to cut down how much how much water they would use, both for showers, for baths and general use. And so that has actually helped significantly. So I think you really need public-private partnerships. It will be and there will be a push from the consumer. But like you're saying, I think you also need these really strong-minded businesses and leading businesses to kind of push and help move things in mm -hmm. in this direction. Rochelle Turner from the WTTC also was saying, and I wonder if you agree, that luxury is becoming more environmentally friendly. So she stayed in a, in a in a hut in the middle of nowhere that had no power. You had to make your own food from local product, produce. And this was actually... This was uh, this came under the luxury sort of pricing. Well, one is I agree with Rochelle. Uh, I would say that um, in going back to the Maslow hierarchy of need, I think that you know Wi-Fi has become at the very bottom now. You kind of expect it if you don't have it. It's no right. longer a nice to have. It's a must have. But I would say actually the sum of luxury sometimes today is being disconnected entirely. Mm. And so I was like, as much as you expect it, sometimes the idea of the complete digital detox and being disconnected from the world and going back right. to basics can actually be a really, truly meaningful and powerful experience. And so I would say definitely. I think a lot of people are actually trying to see about how do you get back and reconnect and re-energize yourself mm -hmm. uh, away from technology, going back to basics. So yes, I think sustainability can really play an important role in that. It was interesting to see how, to what extent people were really bragging about their sustainability credentials um, at the WTTCC, WTTC's uh, Global <laughs> Summit. <laughs> That's a lot of tease there. Yeah. Um, uh, so, I mean, they, they should be bragging about it because it, it, is, it is selling um, to some extent. I mean, not as much as we'd like, but it is good. To, I want to see companies bragging about this and, 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 and implementing. I mean, Roommate, for example, was, was very proud to tell me how you know, they're the first company to make all its uniforms from 100% recycled re mm. materials. All its bottles and other plastics are from recycled plastic that Roommate buys from nonprofit organizations making wells in East Africa. Um, you know, the company wants to be plastic free in one year. And it was just great to see the 
it's not almost bravado about it. You know, they're really excited yeah. to share this and show this off, and they should be. Both companies, but also consumers, don't want companies that just do CSR. Yeah. They want that CSR to be part of their values and ingrained in their DNA. Mm-hmm. And I think it's about and, and that that pride is about when something's really core to who you are. Right. Uh, and I think I, I think that's the shift that you need to see, and mm-hmm. it's the shift that we are seeing. And really, companies taking a lead and taking making strides in that direction, where Absolutely. where employees expect it, consumers expect it, their shareholders expect it. And I think you're really seeing that happen. They do expect it. Uh, Patrick um, Fitzgibbon, which is who's SVP for uh, Hilton Hotels in EMEA, he told me that um, you know millennials or Generation Z, mm-hmm. uh, I'm paraphrasing here, they might not even go somewhere if it doesn't have eco credentials. They're that put off by a place that they believe doesn't cater to to eco tourism. You know, to to not eco tourism, but to sustainability in some way. Um, so it's good for business as well as the planet. He also wanted to mention how Hilton has been, you know, for a long time before you open a hotel, Hilton takes a lot of uh, steps to pick the right materials when using a building to make it more energy efficient. That's actually information that generally is not as easily accessible to consumers, you know, in terms of how's the building made, how energy efficient is it? And those are really important pieces of the puzzle too. I think it's, it's very important for companies not only to address what um, what consumers and travelers see, but maybe mm-hmm. what they don't see, but which may change things fundamentally for the yeah. sector, for well, sustainability. I've just thought of a, maybe perhaps a paradox within this whole discussion that we were talking about. We want sustainability in the places we're visiting. Uh, we want to see that it's eco-friendly, but by definition, if you've flown somewhere, you've, pol- you've built up quite a large carbon footprint to actually travel there. So I guess there's an inherent kind of uh, clash between affordability and sustainability. I mean, when I think of intra-European flights, you can get perhaps a, a 20, 20 euro return flight from the UK to Germany, for example, or you know, a 30 euro flight from the UK to Spain. So I guess I wonder what, what can be done to maybe allay the fears of people who feel, I want to have these experiences, I want to go to new locations, I want to be in an eco-friendly place. Mm-hmm. But the only affordable way of doing it is by flying. Yeah. When I was at Extinction Rebellion's um, protest, I was observing and reporting on that. Um, a lot of people there, I mean, they are sort of the elite cadre of of climate change activism. But they were saying, don't don't fly. Why are you flying? Just go locally. Pop on a train or, or take a bicycle down to Cambridgeshire or whatever. Yeah. You know, go local. So I think there is a growing trend towards local tourism. And we will see, therefore, an increase amongst at least that class of thinking towards uh, regional and local tourism. It's a really good point, Alex. Domestic tourism is on the rise. I mean, as much as international tourism. But I think the issues that you're raising is definitely something that the the sector is looking into. And that, I mean, in 1950, there were 25 million international arrivals. We're at 1.4 billion. Wow. You know, like mm-hmm. people are traveling. This desire is real. I think we need to figure out as a sector, how do we offset yeah. uh, in a meaningful way? And that's definitely something that IKEA, which is the International Civil Aviation Organization, with airlines, with countries, is looking at how do you kind of offset in a meaningful way? And maybe at some point, decisions, stricter decisions will have to be made. Uh, I think it's going to be, and whether it is, you know, 
paying a tax if you're traveling more from a sustainability perspective? I don't know what the answer is, mm -hmm. but also the same question to be asked around, you know, if a place is overcrowded and local residents don't feel like it's their home anymore. How do we make sure that we actually plan for the sustainable growth of the sector? Because at the end of the day, sustainability is part of the triple bottom line of the sector. People don't want to go to dirty beaches. They don't want to mm -hmm. swim in a sea full of plastic. The sector is really actively working to address these issues, realizing that in order to continue growing in a sustainable way, they need to look at, at sustainability meaningfully. Thank you very much, Tiffany, for joining us Thanks and Alex. Me. Yeah, thank you. Um, that, this concludes this episode of the FDI podcast. And you can find this podcast on Acast, iTunes, and of course, the FDI Intelligence website. Thank you very much. Thank you.